Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Father, uh, we do praise and we thank you, God. Um, Lord, we've been talking about this series, uh, Meal with the King, and that is to say that you are king, uh, that we believe that you are the maker of heaven and earth, and that you are the one who really writes the real story of the world. Uh, you're the one who really does reign over everything that's happening, and that our lives are meant to be lived uh, in purpose, to live for you and to know who you are. And so we ask that you would open our hearts uh, this morning, uh, let your word, we trust your word, and we trust your spirit we believe that you're here, speak to our hearts, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as I said, that uh, on Sundays, and we kind of, I start, we started talking about this last week, but for the next couple of months, we're going through a series called A Meal with the King, and the reason why we're talking about this idea of a meal with the king is because we believe that Scripture is filled with all kinds of meals. Praise God for food, <laughs> right? And good meals. And, and that's why we're going to enjoy good meals after worship service. Oh, I love a good meal, right? And we believe that in each of these meals that there's a picture of who God is as a king. Uh, God shows himself through these meals but we also believe that each meal shows us a picture of what God's kingdom is like, what it means to know God and to relate to him as well. Well, last week, in our opening, we started off with this kind of unusual passage in the Old Testament about this cripple named Mephibosheth. And we talked about how King David had invited Mephibosheth to his table to dine with him forever, and Mephibosheth is a picture of you and I, that you and I are those who are simply invited to the table of God as our king by sheer grace. Nothing that we've done to earn it, nothing that we've done to deserve it, and we certainly cannot repay it. God simply invites you and I into this relationship with him surely by grace through the finished work of his son Jesus. And uh, today, we're going to look at another meal. Um, it's not what Calvin had read. There's a passage after of Levi. And we're going to look at this idea of forgiveness. And forgiveness is really something that is at the heart of grace. I want to share with you a, a story that I heard when I was at something called the Global Leadership Summit. This was several years back. And... Uh, at this summit, there were a number of keynote speakers, uh, people just talking about, uh, these were people who were Christian leaders, non-Christian leaders of different uh, large organizations, those kind of things. And there's one particular speaker uh, at this summit, and his name was Marcus Lemanis. Have, have any of you heard of Marcus Lemanis? Okay, sorry, La Marcus Lemanis. <laughs> Lemanus, Lemanus, same thing, right? Anyway, uh, Marcus Lemanus. Okay. Well, have you, have you guys ever heard of a, a, a store called Camping World? 
Camping world? Okay, yeah. Some of you are campers. Roland, you're a camper? Okay. Okay, you've heard it. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, camping world, you know, it's a popular thing, right? Uh, it's, it's an increasingly popular thing to do. Uh, my wife loves to do the glamping thing, not the camping thing. And uh, so that's a little different from, that's not real camping, I think. But sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, anyway. Okay. Anyway, he is, Marcus Leminis is, he is the CEO of Camping World, and uh, he also runs a reality TV show called The Prophet. Have you guys heard of that? Ah, oh, man. Okay. You need to watch some more TV or something. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so he runs this reality TV show called The Prophet, and The Prophet is really uh, a show that's dedicated, what he does is he comes along struggling small businesses, and he pinpoints what's wrong with this business, why is it not flourishing, succeeding? He's able to spot that, and then he's able to get them to the point where they can succeed as a small business. And what's interesting is Marcus Leminis, uh, he's got all the money uh, he could ever need, but what he's done is he's invested $60 million of his own money uh, to this show, to the profit. And uh, he knows, actually, that this show, and the reason why a lot of you haven't heard of it is because it's not a super popular show either. Um, and he knows that this show is not going to be financially profitable. So he's really just kind of pouring out his own money at loss to himself. And when he was asked why he does all this, over and over again, the phrase that kept coming up as to why he spends all his pers this personal money, a large uh, investment, personal investment, is he talked about this idea of soul cleansing. Soul cleansing. And it's this phrase that he would use over and over again to talk about why he's doing this show and helping these small businesses. Now, I don't know where Marcus Leminis is at in his relationship with God. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. Um, I don't know his views of God, those things. Um, but apparently, it's very clear that for Marcus, helping these businesses and helping these people is a way for him to feel deeply that there is, is, there is a sense of purpose in making a real difference with his life. That life is, is much more than about money, career, success, achievements, any of those things. And it's his way, of, as he describes, as simply cleansing his soul. Now, we're all, I believe, on the search. Each single one of us. And every single one of us are on a search to do something in our, with our lives that's going to bring deep peace, a, you could say, a soul cleansing. And for some of us, we may try to find it in maybe helping people. As we help people, we feel good about helping people, and we feel this sense of cleansing about ourselves. Some people, maybe it's, we're gonna bury, I'm going to bury myself in my work, I'm going to try to achieve a lot of things in my life, and this is going to give me the satisfaction that I'm looking for. Some people even try to look for the soul cleansing in religion. 
So they may even go to church. They may do religious kind of things and religious sort of activities. And by being very good at religion, it gives them a sense of peace in their conscience. Well, you know, I'm a, maybe I'm a really good Christian, you know, and I do all these things really well as a Christian. And I'm really good at following all these rules. And following all these rules makes me feel good about myself spiritually. But what I want to submit to you today is this. Deep soul cleansing and satisfaction is something that only God can give. It's something that only God can give. And it comes through having a reconciled relationship with God. And that reconciliation with God comes through the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to talk about what that means. The idea that I want to share with you today is this. Receiving forgiveness is both the most difficult and yet it's the most healing need for the soul. Now, I'll tell you why it's very difficult, right? We will, we will see this in this passage. But receiving forgiveness is both the most difficult and yet it's the most healing need for our souls. And I have three simple points I'm going to share with you, and that is the healing power of forgiveness, the only path to forgiveness, and the barrier of forgiveness. The healing power, the only path, as well as the barrier of forgiveness. First of all, the healing power of forgiveness. Let's go back to this passage that was just read, Luke chapter 5. Uh, you could follow along in your Bibles or your apps or on the screen. But Luke chapter 5 records this interesting story of this paralytic. In verse 17, Luke notes that on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, all of these religious teachers are coming out, they're gathering, they're trying to figure out what is all the hype about, about this man named Jesus, as the fame of Jesus is beginning to spread. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, look at this scene, right, where you have this paralyzed man, this paralytic. He has his friends. This, the fame of Jesus is spreading as they're finding out that this man, Jesus, can perform all kinds of miracles, healings. He can make those who are blind see again and make those who are lame walk. And so they're thinking, you know, Jesus, we believe that he is the solution. He is the answer. We're going to find a way to get our paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, the, it's packed, the crowds, and they're in this uh, little, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, just this little area. And could you imagine, they can't get their friend through, so they literally go on top of the roof. They drill a hole on top of the roof in the middle of a Bible study or worship gathering, and they lower their friend down in the middle 
Now, I don't know about you, but that would seem a little strange to me if we're worshiping and I'm teaching, all of a sudden you hear this, all of a sudden, the root, what is going on? And then you see this man on a bed being lowered down right in the middle of this aisle, okay? Like, whoa, this is not a typical worship gathering, right? Something is a little different about this. And this is what's going on, right? These friends are absolutely determined, and they are resolved to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. And then what Jesus does next, and what he says next, is going to absolutely surprise and disturb everyone at the same time. It's completely unexpected. It says in verse 20, as soon as this paralyzed man is lowered to the floor, when he saw their faith, it says in verse 20, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And just by making this one statement, everyone is completely disturbed by it. Everyone in the room. The last thing that anyone was expecting to hear were these words. The last thing. The friends who went through all kinds of hoops and obstacles to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, imagine what they're feeling. You know what they're feeling? They are absolutely disappointed. Why? This isn't why we brought him to you. We expect you to heal him. We expect you to do something so he could actually Something practical where he could actually stand up, rise, and walk. This is why we brought you to him. We, we didn't bring you to him so that his sins could be forgiven. That's not the point. So they're kind of disappointed. But by Jesus saying this, he knows, obviously, this man's immediate, obvious need. But what is Jesus doing? He's pointing to his real need. He's saying, your sins are forgiven. And by saying this as the very first thing, what Jesus is doing, what he's saying is, there is something far more radical, something far more important than just your physical healing. You need soul cleansing. You need spiritual healing. You need something so important that you may not even feel it right now, but you need to be made right with God a reconciled relationship. The most important healing Jesus is telling the friends and everyone in this room is simply this. The most important healing you could ever have in your life is a right relationship with God himself. To be reconciled to him. You could have all the physical, all the material wealth in your life, but these things will pale in comparison to a right relationship with God, with him. And these things will not satisfy and cleanse your soul. It will not. Now, notice a pattern here. If this man's physical sufferings, his paralysis, his disability, if these things were the things, that, the, the means that brought him to Jesus 
And then Jesus then receives, or Jesus gives him the most important gift this man could ever receive, then think about your own life as well. Sometimes God may allow hardships, and God may allow suffering, God may allow different things in your life, ultimately, to bring you to himself, to bring you to a point where you begin to maybe see and recognize your true need before him. You know, when I was, I was just sharing this yesterday with some people, but you know, my trip to Rwanda a few weeks ago, when I came back from, from Rwanda, it was a fresh reminder to me that the believers there, the Christians, most of the people that we had worked with there, they live in, I mean, what we consider poverty level here is kind of luxurious for them. Um, their level of poverty is a different level of poverty altogether. And... Uh, for, for many of the people, these people that we were working with, uh, these brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, if you have a roof, uh, just a literal physical roof, and just having enough to eat for the day, uh, nothing fancy, you know, they won't have meat every day, it's too expensive, but just simple cornmeal and, and those kind of things, some rice, potatoes, and and then you have, they have clothing on their backs. They're, they're just thankful to the Lord for that. And yet, at the same time, what I witness about their hearts is they are so filled with joy. They are filled with joy. And I think I mentioned this, that when we had our worship times, to see the way that they just... God, you are so good. You're so faithful. God, you're powerful. We believe in you. It's like, wow, you know, materially, they don't have a lot, but they certainly believe that God is good. Whereas sometimes here, we have a lot, but there's so much dissatisfaction with our lives. You can have a lot materially. You can have, you know, all kinds of things. And you don't have to worry about your next meal or those kind of things. But there's so much deep soul dissatisfaction, right? Uh, these things cannot, the things that we're looking for oftentimes, we don't know what we're truly looking for. And this is what Jesus is saying. Uh, he is saying that really the one medicine that will cure you forever the one thing that will bring lasting, genuine peace is forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God, to know who God really is. This is actually the real miracle of life. This is the real healing, to know who God is. Well, secondly, there's a path. There's a path. And look at what, Jesus, look at what Luke writes, verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, well, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the friends are disappointed, but the religious leaders, they're now up in arms. They're absolutely uh, disturbed by what Jesus has just said. 
they're deeply offended at Jesus' statement because Jesus' statement to say your sins are forgiven assumes something about who he is, his identity. By saying that your sins are forgiven, Jesus is basically, it's the same thing, it's akin to saying, I am God. I am to be worshipped as God, and I have the authority to make people right into a right relationship with myself. And by Jesus making the statement, to them, this was absolute blasphemy. Think about what Jesus is saying. When someone sins against you, when someone wrongs you, they have cost you something, right? They've incurred some kind of debt against you. And when you forgive this person, what you're doing is you are absorbing the cost of their wrong against you. You are no longer holding them liable for the loss that you have incurred. If someone has broken your chair and you forgive them, it means that you, have, you are going to fork out the money to fix this chair yourself. You have released them. You have absorbed that cost to yourself. And if you, you can only forgive only if the, the debt that is against you is something that you have made a payment for, right? Jesus, when he says that your sins are forgiven to this man, this paralyzed man, it's, what he's basically telling him is it's as if everything you've ever done wrong in your life, it's been personally against me. And I forgive you for that. Imagine if I walked out and I saw a stranger mistreating someone else right here on the parking lot. And I walk out and I see this happening. And I go up to the stranger and I say, I forgive you. A little strange, right? What, what would they be thinking? Who in the world are you? It's, this is none of your business, right? This is not your business. That's exactly what they would say, right? It'd be, whoa, this guy is really strange, right? And for Jesus to say this to this paralytic whom he has met for the very first time, all your sins are forgiven, he's basically saying, all the wrongs you've ever done in your life, I forgive you of that because they were against me. They were ultimately against me, and ultimately, it was against my business. Don't miss the importance of this. A lot of times when we think of sin, the reason why we haven't received true forgiveness or healing is because we think of sin simply as feeling bad. I felt bad that I did this. I feel ashamed. I feel guilty. I know I shouldn't have done that. I feel some regret. I feel badly about it. Or maybe we feel bad about a wrong that we've done against someone else. But the biblical notion of sin is not just simply that you've done wrong against someone else. Ultimately, when you do something wrong against someone else, or you do something wrong, period, it's always, always against God himself. Always. That's why when David prayed after committing with Bathsheba, uh, this you know, kind of personal private sin, so to speak. But in Psalm 51, he says, basically in his repentance, it's against you, only you have I sinned against, and therefore you're right 
you're justified in your judgments against me. David knew ultimately the, the real wrong was not against, yes, against Bathsheba, but against God himself. That's what he knew was a source of real wrong. Until you see ultimately in your life that all the wrongs that you've ever done, that you've ever committed against anybody, has been ultimately against God himself, you have never really repented. You've not really known what repentance is. And therefore, you've not really known what healing is, the healing of your soul. You've not received forgiveness, and therefore, you've not, you're not able to forgive other people lastingly. This is really important. This is the only path to forgiveness. This is what Jesus is saying. Luke goes on to write in verse 22, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, this question is a rhetorical question. Which is easier to say? It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? A lot of cultic leaders have done this in the past. Why? Because you can't prove that. I could say your sins are forgiven, but that, those are just words. And so, to prove that Jesus has the authority to actually forgive sins, he performs the secondary miracle, the physical healing. Rise, pick up your mat, go home, walk. And he uses that healing to point to the greater healing, the forgiveness of sins. And immediately, he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So we've seen the path. Right? We've seen that this is the real healing that God wants to give to all of us. But now, the barrier. Why is it so hard? Number three, there's a story that follows after this. This story is really important to this paralytic because this kind of expands on what just happens. In verse 27, Luke says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to Levi, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is talking about here why it is so hard to receive this forgiveness. Why is it so difficult? Here, Jesus is giving two categories of people. He's giving the healthy, the sick, the righteous, the sinners. He compares and contrasts. But understand the point that Jesus is making. He's not saying that there are actually two different kinds of people in the world. There's 
well, there's the, the bad people, and then there's the good people, and I'm kind of on the good side, and there's the bad people. That's not the point that Jesus is making. He's slamming self-righteousness. He's making a complete slam on those who think that they can earn God's favor and grace, those who think that they're good enough to earn it. Now, I am a typical guy. So what that means is that uh, I could be nearly deathly sick, and yet I will still refuse to go see the doctor. Okay? I could be coughing up blood. I could be sick to my bones, and I, Mimi will insist, hey, go see the doctor. No, just give me pizza and let me sleep, <laughs> all right? That's all I need, please. That's, that's my healing, okay? I really don't need a doctor. Just, I've got, I know what I need, okay? Um, but, you know, I mean, I have gone seeing a doctor in my lifetime. I have paid a few visits, right? Um, but that's only if really just I am like really immobile, like, yeah, I immobilize. I really can't, right? Why do you go see a doctor? You go see a doctor not because you're looking for good advice. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to go see the doctor, right? You go to see the doctor because you need intervention. You can't heal yourself. You are not capable of making yourself better. That's why you go see the doctor. You don't go to see the doctor just to have the doctor tell you, oh, yeah, take two aspirin and go to sleep, right? It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I knew that, right? Uh, you go see the doctor because you need real help. You need real intervention. What Jesus is saying here is the righteous are those who refuse to go see the doctor. They feel that they can heal themselves. They feel that they can make themselves good. They can be right with God. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm a, good, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like those other people who are not as good, right? Like, I work hard. I'm honest. Like, I do things with integrity, right? I'm good at what I do. So they kind of feel good about themselves. Or maybe they follow the right religion, the right religious code. If I simply follow all the rules carefully, right, and maybe if I help a lot of people, right, this is going to cleanse my soul, the soul cleansing. But they don't feel that they need real intervention. Jesus is a good teacher. I like what Jesus has to say. But he's not a real savior, He's not someone who needs to really intervene in my life and really forgive me, really cleanse me. And so it's difficult. What Jesus is saying is the biggest barrier to receiving God's forgiveness is that we, that we refuse it. We don't go see him. We live in denial that we actually have a cancer, that we're really sick, that we really need intervention, not just good advice. But what Jesus is saying is this. He will only help those who know that they're failures. He will only help those who deeply know that they're real moral and spiritual failures. He cannot intervene in someone's life who thinks, no, I don't need it. Just give me my aspirin. Give me my pizza or whatever, right? I don't need it. 
The prerequisite to knowing Jesus and having his forgiveness is not living a good life. The prerequisite is admitting that you're not good. And that's why Jesus was so repulsive to the religious leaders. They're too good for their own good. They still think that they can earn their salvation, that they're really above those really bad people. They really, they really don't need this intervening forgiveness. And so for those who feel that they don't deserve or that they can earn it, the medicine won't work. It cannot work what Jesus has to offer. But there's another group of people in here, in this room, and another struggle is for those who feel that they don't deserve it. They know that they need it. And they know they just they know that they don't deserve it. And there's this perpetual sense of failure. And this perpetual sense of shame. And uh, you, you know, you just feel like a giant failure. And you're always buried under this complete sense of shame and this complete sense of guilt and, you know, and, and all of that. And questions you ask are, how can God continue to forgive me when I continue to struggle? How can God keep forgiving me? Isn't this taking advantage of God's grace? And what I would share with you is simply what, something that John Owen, who is a physician of soul 300 years ago, a Puritan pastor who really knew the soul really well, something that he said that I think is really helpful. He said, Ah, Jesus, bruised for my sins and wounded for my transgressions, he, required, he requires me to open my hands, release my grip, and let him deal with my sin, and that I heartily consent to. Right? He requires me to open my hands, release my grip, and deal with my sin. For those who struggle with a sense of, well, how can God forgive me? You open your hands. You release it to him. Let Jesus deal with it. But Owen is not just talking about a new Christian or someone who just came to Christ. He's talking about those who have been Christians for a long time. In fact, he says this, this is every day's work. I know not how any peace can be maintained with God without it. It's every day's work. He's talking about some in this room who've been Christians for years, maybe even decades. Every day, you must come before Jesus. You must open your hands and let him deal with your sin. You must allow the cleansing and the forgiveness to come into your life every single day. This is the only way, he says, you maintain a peace with God. That you have in your soul a deep sense, wow, God really knows me. I know God. I have a right relationship with God. And if you don't allow Jesus to do this every day, to wash your feet, so to speak, every single day, you will not have that deep peace in your soul. You will not. You can do a lot of religious Christian activity, but you will not have that sense of peace with God, the subjective peace of it. 
Now, is there any other way? There's no other way. We are a room filled with spiritual failures. This is who we are. This is what, what we talk about when we say that we are sinners who are saved by grace. That no amount of your moral efforts, your religious efforts, are going to make you right. It's only the blood of Jesus, the work of the cross. This is what we're talking about. I want to go back right now because I think God is speaking to you. Did you ever wonder in this story how this paralytic got healed? In other words, he, he didn't say a thing. He didn't say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? I believe you died on the cross for my sins, or I believe that you will go to the cross for my sins. Would you come into my life and I receive you as Lord and Savior? He didn't do any of that. He didn't say a word. Jesus simply forgave him. You know why? Did you know how? Don't you need to repent first before Jesus forgives you? Well, the reason why Jesus could forgive him is because he could see his heart. He didn't have to say a word. He knew this paralytic's heart. He knew what was going on. And he knew that in his heart, this paralytic, even though he hadn't said anything, he would just, he knew where his heart was at. And Jesus knows your heart. He knows, right? You don't, you don't have to go through this, these hoops. He can read what's going on in your heart right now. He knows your, your, your heart is soft. He knows whether your heart is repentant. He knows whether your heart uh, knows its sin and, and wants to come to him for, for healing and forgiveness. He knows your struggle. He knows all of it. And what I would say to you right now is to, in your heart right now, to come before Jesus. Come before Jesus. And I want you to respond to Jesus even right now. Uh, come before him. He's the one who did it on the cross. The cross shows us that Jesus is, he takes sin very seriously. It took the Son of God, the life of the Son of God, to deal with sin. But it shows you his infinite forgiveness and his love for you as well. That if you come to him repentantly, that he does offer this cleansing and forgiveness. And if God could forgive you for crucifying his son on the cross, he can, he can forgive you for anything in your life. But you must open your hands. You must release it. You must let Jesus deal with it. You must allow Jesus to give his cleansing flow into your heart and your soul. So would you respond to him? We respond in different ways. And I'm going to just share with you, as we go into this response time, we've been doing this every Sunday, but there are four ways. We worship we bow down to Jesus, saying, Jesus, you are my king. I worship you. I center my life upon you. You alone are the one who deserves glory. You're the one I want to live my life for. There's no one greater than you, Jesus. You are my king. This is worship, to acknowledge his worth, who he is. But we also respond in confession and repentance every single Sunday. This is what we do. We respond to recognize our failures. We respond to recognize our brokenness, our failures, and to say, Jesus, I need your cleansing. I need you to be my, my, my physician, to intervene, to forgive, 
and we respond as the Lord begins to convict us in different ways of things that, that go against who he is, his heart, his word, that grieve the very heart of God. And we come to him and say, Jesus, forgive me for grieving your heart. Forgive me. But we also come in prayer, and I'm going to invite you. Uh, there is a group of people who are willing to pray with you in the corner, and you are free to go in the corner to pray with someone. We all need prayer, and we all need to be prayed for. So take advantage of this. There are people who are willing to pray with you and for you during this time. And then finally, we respond with communion. And every Sunday when we gather, we are reenacting this gospel. We are coming before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I remember that you died for my sins. You came. You died for all my sins. You have the authority. You own my life. Therefore, you rule my life. And yet, you also love me. And you're willing to forgive me. And I need your forgiveness. And so when we take communion, we are remembering the death of Jesus for us. And we're recentering our lives upon him, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you wholeheartedly. You're the one I worship. So we do this every Sunday. So I'm going to invite you to do this right now to respond to God. God, Jesus sees your heart. He can read it right now. He can read past the layers. And so would you do this right now? And if there's someone even here who wants to invite Jesus into your life, he knows your heart. He saw the paralytic's heart. So would you even do that? Even where you're seated, Jesus, I believe that you are king. Forgive me. Let me be your follower, even right now. Let's come before the Lord. And as you're ready, feel free to come and take of this and respond to the Lord right now. Uh, you may stand, you may sit, you may go to the prayer corner or respond to the Lord himself right now. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.